Welcome back to Lost in Citations. Today's guest is Dr. Todd Allen, Associate Professor at Kansai University. Dr. Allen, welcome to Lost in Citations. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Can I call you Todd? Is that all right? You can. Please do, yes. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And you're in Osaka, right? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, my house, actually, I recently just bought a house. So I'm oh. actually in, I'm actually in Nishinomiya. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> so. you teach in Osaka. I do. I teach in Osaka. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I think I know a few of your colleagues, uh, Simon Humphreys has been on the show and uh, yes. Curtis Kelly has been on the show and yep. Chris Ramonda has been on the show. The, the Faculty of Foreign Language uh, Studies is actually one of, I would say, one of the best language schools um, and applied linguistic schools uh, probably in Japan. We have some of the biggest names uh, in the field working there. So it's uh, an absolute uh, privilege to actually work with these people. And it's a big program? Uh, we, we have 170 undergraduate students roughly each year. Mm -hmm. um, and um, basically, um, we keep it into that number, but there's a number of teachers there. We have probably 50 plus in the faculty itself, plus our, our part-time teaching staff as well. So it's a pretty decent size. It's very good. And you have graduate students. Of course. Yeah, we do have um, a number of graduate students doing masters, uh, I guess, in applied linguistics and, and education, uh, as well as PhD students doing various topics in um, applied linguistics. All right. Well, the paper that we're discussing today is Facilitating Graduate Student and Faculty Member Writing Groups, Experiences from a University in Japan. Now, this paper uh, was was done not at Kansai University, right? That's correct. It was, um, it was written uh, as a result of the work that I was doing um, at Hiroshima University in the writing center slash research planning office. Um, it was my first job after my PhD and uh, coming to Japan. So um, I wrote a paper um, basically covering the work, some of the work that I was doing there. Um, mm. Well, let's get a little bit, um, let's learn a little bit about your background. So Sure. You you did your undergraduate degree in Australia. Yes. Um, yep. Can you talk a little bit about that? What did you study? Sure. I, I did my uh, undergraduate studies at Western Sydney University, um, which is uh, uh, it's a medium sized university uh, in Sydney. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, I was um, studying Japanese language um, and pragmatics. I started off doing translation and interpreting and realized how difficult it was. Mm. Um, and then sort of thought, well, what can I use my Japanese language skills in doing? And so I sort of majored in um, pragmatics, the pragmatic side of things. And that's um, what I ended up doing. My honors degree um, fo focused on was uh, Japanese pragmatics. What does that mean exactly? Uh, so I was looking. I was looking at politeness. Um, okay. I, I was looking at politeness structures in um, the Japanese language, and I, I looked at basically basically looked at Japanese dramas, oh. um, and and looked at how um, characters perform politeness, um, whether that's between friends or between um, uh, their superiors at work, and sort of analyze those linguistic differences. So that kind of drifts into power distance and keigo and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So looking at like plain forms and how that's still considered polite amongst friends. And then, of course, more uh, honorific forms between, say, your boss and, and, and um, employee, for example. So you did this for your undergraduate. You did an honors I did. thesis. I did. I did. That was my honors thesis. Yeah. How long was the thesis? Uh, it was about 10,000 words. It was a okay. fairly decent, um, decent amount of work, I think. Um, and I think that that's um, made difficult because you've got basically six, seven months to get it done. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's quite intense. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the, the honors thesis um, system in Australia is, is quite rigorous. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. I learned about it, um, because I'm just finishing up a, a master's in research in psychology and uh, yep. the way my supervisor described it to me was that it's an honors thesis on steroids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, it's kind of, so it's kind of an extension from, I guess, you know, in my undergraduate degree, you know, it was different. I was studying music, of course, but I think even in other disciplines, I'm not sure people were writing rigorous thesis. Thesi? 
uh, at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's definitely a challenge. And, and um, I think the most important thing to have is uh, a good mentor and a good supervisor. Um, we can talk about this. Even at the undergraduate that. level. Yeah. So we have, we have a super, basically for your honors thesis, you'll have a supervisor who will guide you through the whole process. Wow. Um, and, and the relationship you make with them, I think is, is absolutely vital. Um, I'll probably touch on this a little bit later, but, um, the relationship that I had with the supervisor there in, in such a positive and productive one, we still collaborate on work together. Wow. Uh, uh, even, even today. So, um, yeah, I think it's vital and I think it's, it's definitely needed for, for that undergraduate study. <laughs> now, does so, that supervisor hmm. guide you towards the topic or by that point you had already chosen your topic for the thesis? Basically I'd already, uh, chosen the topic. Um, and, and obviously I chose the supervisor based on her okay. um, background. Um, but uh, during my undergraduate, um, years my third my third year of study actually i was um i was actually doing a, a study abroad at meiji university mm-hmm. um so we were actually working on a proposal for the honors thesis while i was sort of in my third year um at meiji university and then when i came back um we we basically kicked off and and, and started working on the project well uh, this is a wild four years yeah, so, it is. Yeah. So, wait, wait, wait. So part of the program is uh, mandatory study abroad? It's not mandatory, but um, because I was studying um, languages and linguistics, you, you had to, well, you don't have to, but I, I chose to do a year, a year abroad. Um, unfortunately, my year abroad was um, uh, impacted by the um, 2011 earthquake. Oh. So I could actually only do a semester, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. So before you went abroad, your Japanese ability was already strong? Uh, it was because I had actually studied at a private college prior to entering university, um, oh. both in Australia and in Japan. So I did a year uh, at a private college studying Japanese. And then um, I thought to myself, well, how can I get better at Japanese? Well, I think the only way to do that is to go there. Um, and so I moved uh, to Osaka in 2007. Mm-hmm. And uh, I studied at a private college here for about a year, and then I went back to Australia and started my undergrad. <laughs> what was it? What was it like when you first came here? Did you think that you had been taught well, or there was a huge disconnect from what you were learning in school and the language that you were encountering? It. It. I. I don't know. I guess at that time I really wasn't aware of the sort of the academic study of second language acquisition. Um, I just knew what worked for me and mm-hmm. what. Didn't. Um, and being in Japan, it's quite difficult because teachers have their own way of doing things and changing that can be hard, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly to suit different international students. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I found interesting was that everyone in the class was from somewhere else other than Japan. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was my first real experience of being an international student, somewhat like international international students feel like when they come to Australia, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but the good thing about it is, is that you learn a lot about other people's culture that you probably, not that you're not interested in, but it just wasn't on your radar. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, Korea. Korea was never on my radar. But out of that experience, I, learned, I, I made a lot of great Korean friends. <laughs> but what about when you first arrived in Japan? I'm not talking about the school. Mm. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm kind of curious about that. If you were learning a lot of things and then you you, you went to the Seven Eleven for the first time and you tried to use your Japanese, did you, <laughs> did you have success right away or did it well, was there a it, bit of a oh this is a little different? It's funny. I my first trip to Japan actually when I when I came here to study that wasn't the first time I'd been to Japan. I'd okay. been to Japan um, with my father when I first turned eighteen back in two thousand and four. Okay. Uh, and so my father and I traveled here and I'd studied a little bit of Japanese before then thinking I could get by, but it was a completely different world compared to now. Um, no one was uh, willing to speak English with you mm-hmm. or the signs even, there was hardly any English. There was no smartphones back then. Mm-hmm. Um, it was completely foreign, but I think that's what appealed to me the most was mm-hmm. that it was just so different and I could get lost Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 learn something or experience something completely new. Well, what what drew, what drew you to Japanese, you know, at this <laughs> early age? That that's a funny that that, that I kind of fell into this. So um, 
prior prior to my academic life and and things i was actually an elite athlete um so i was a gymnast for about 12 or 13 years oh, wow. and that, uh, through that experience, I, I traveled to, to China um, to compete, with, and my coach was Chinese at the time. Um, but after shoulder surgery and a number of injuries, I switched over to springboard diving. Hmm. Um, and while I was practicing one day, we had representatives from an amusement park here in Japan. I won't say which, but mm-hmm. uh, they approached me and uh, offered me a job as a stunt performer. Um, so as a way wow. to, so yeah, so to, as a way to impress them, uh-huh. I, I started learning Japanese. Um, and so, uh, when it came around to that time, they came back and, and they, they brought me a, a contract and said, look, here's a, here's a contract. Are you interested? If you are, you can sign it. And just as I was about to sign it, they said, how old are you by the way? And I said, oh, I'm 17. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they said, well, you need to be 18 today to sign it. So unfortunately, I didn't get to go. But um, learning Japanese from that mo- from that time, um, that's what got me involved or got me interested in learning Japanese. I was finishing high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, but learning Japanese felt right and it felt interesting and it felt fun. So um, that's how I fell into the Japanese side of things. Well, then that, that explains how you could keep motivated <laughs> to, to wade through all the honorifics. <laughs> because you you saw Japanese as a way to expand your horizons and perhaps uh, business opportunity, social opportunity, something exciting. So that must have in the back of your mind that must have driven you because th- to do a four year program like you said and then to do a thesis on top at at the end of the four years <laughs> that's pretty intense. Did you have any times where you thought, eh, this is a this is a little bit too much? I. I bit well, off a little bit more that I can chew with this Japanese thing. Well, I mean, the Japanese side of things is difficult. And, and definitely, le- I would say learning content and learning language are just two separate skills. Uh-huh. Um, but um, the good thing, like language is everything. So I felt like if if you you couldn't acquire the skills to, to communicate or at least express your own opinion or ideas, then you're really, you're not going to be able to function in society that well. So... That, that's what really drove me was just being able to communicate and express myself in, in a clear way. So during the process of the honors thesis, were you part of a writing group at that time? Not at that time. It, it might surprise you. I was actually working full time at the time as well. So Jeez. I, I, barely, I barely slept during that, those, that, that year. But um, uh, there wasn't much in the way of writing. And that's, that's a good point that you bring up because – as a language major, you're not really taught how to write. Mm. You're, you're more focused on acquiring that second language. And so you're learning vocabulary, you're learning how to structure writing in Japanese, but you're not learning it in English. So when it came time to writing a thesis in English, I was really, uh, I really struggled because mm. it, it was just a completely new skill um, in that sense. I, can, I continue to struggle with that. Um, I, I think but, we all do. I think we yeah. all do. Yeah. Like, for example, I'm taking, I'm going to take the JLPT in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the way it worked out was I submitted my master's thesis in April. So I had two months off. Yep. And then I got some, the reviews back. And, um, and then when I got the reviews back, I thought, I just can't look at this right now. Like, <laughs> it's just, I'm just too busy. I, I just don't, I couldn't, I feel like I can do one or the other. Yes. Like, I can study yeah. really, difficult Japanese or difficult for me. And then, um, or I can do, cause you're right. They're, they're completely different parts of your brain, Absolutely. academic English and, and, and studying Japanese. Absolutely. And I think, um, I think sometimes it hinders your writing as well. You know, <laughs> I think, um, thinking in another language, uh, obviously enriches your vocabulary and, and, and things, but I think sometimes it, it, it kind of, negatively influences your writing in, in some ways in the sense that uh, you might fall back into your into your second language style of speaking or, or writing and it can be challenging definitely but the another interesting angle of that uh, if you look at the the opposite of mm-hmm. uh, I was talking to someone I forget who it was but they were saying some of the best writers that they know or that some of the best articles that they they've read were written by people who's it was English is their second language or third yeah. language because they just write so clear and precise and there's not jargon and there's not wasted words. It's just very easy to read. Absolutely. Which is and interesting. I, 
Uh, no, it is. It is. And, and from my work at Hiroshima meeting different editors from different journals, uh, their advice to us was always to write simply. If you write simply, the editor can make your writing more flowery or more colorful. Mm-hmm. But um, as long as you keep your sh- your sentences short and to the point, I think that's, that's the biggest um, or the best advice that I could give anyone is that um, – Keep it simple because the, the more complicated you make it, it just becomes diluted and, it, and and people lose the point very quickly in their writing. All right. So after you finished um, the honors thesis, you started the PhD right away? Uh, I had a, probably a little a little break um, between finishing the honors degree, and which was the end of 2012. And then I started my PhD at the University of Queensland in 2013, probably – May, I think, May 2013, I started my PhD up there. And so as we were talking before we recorded the show, was that you can go right from a, a bachelor's honors to to a PhD program in Australia? That's correct. If you... Um, if you have a high enough honors result, so for oh, example, okay. if you if you receive honors one, uh-huh. um, then you can generally go straight into a PhD, and that's that was the case for me. Um, getting congratulations, that's thank amazing. you. No, <laughs> I, I I give all credit to my supervisor for that one. She definitely pushed me well. So, um, but yeah, moving moving into the PhD there from from honors is something that we can do in Australia without doing a master's degree. Yeah. And what what was your what was your sort of did your goal change? Did you have a clear aim and that stayed the same or did you have an aim and that shifted through that PhD process? Oh, oh the, the, definitely my, my project changed quite a lot throughout the, the PhD program. I had, um, I had a supervisor who left within the first year. Um, so that kind of shifted things around. And then halfway through that, one of my supervisors retired, but she stayed on as my principal advisor, thank God. But, mm-hmm. um, but definitely through that process of learning more and, and, and looking at data, and, and that definitely changed the scope and the, and the, the outcomes of the research, I guess. What, what was um, your dissertation? So the dissertation was focused on um, the differences in listening behaviors between uh, Kanto speakers and Kansai speakers of Japanese. Hmm. So I was looking at um, the phenomenon known as Aizuchi in Japanese, mm-hmm. um, but looking not only at those um, regional differences, but also looking at their perceptions of uh, or their beliefs about their uh, listening behaviors. Oh, that's a great topic. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. It's funny you say that because my daughter gets angry at me because I don't do Aizuchi. The Aizuchi for people that don't know is is when it's sort of um, a, a sound you make when you understand, right? Like mm, mm, yeah. or, mm, well, it, or it does a lot of things. That's why your daughter probably gets angry at you. Well, because because she, I think when she says something, I'll I'll kind of do like a small mm. right, and, and and then and then she's like, "Do you understand what I'm saying?" So I say, yeah. She's like, well, you're not making the sound like you do. Like she, she's not getting the confirmation that, you know. That, that she expects, yeah. yeah. And, and, and my PhD um, uh, um, touched on that in the sense that I, that I asked participants, you know, how do you feel or what happens to you when people stop doing it or, mm-hmm. or don't do it enough? And they, they give me some pretty colorful uh, responses like, um, you know, I feel, I feel like they're not listening to me or I, I feel um, – I feel alone or I feel isolated, those kinds of things. So it's that is a cool topic. It's an important, um, it's an important feature of Japanese language and culture for sure. And you did your data collection in Japan, I'm assuming? I, I did. So I, I luckily through colleagues, um, so former students of my supervisor, I, I flew to Tokyo and collected some data there and then flew um, to uh, Osaka and Kyoto and um, managed to get some data here um, and, for that. And then after you finished your PhD, you you stayed working in at Queensland. Is that right? No, I I, um, I was I was working there at, as as I was doing my PhD. So again, I was very fortunate enough to have great um, mentors around me, not necessarily supervisors, but um, mentors in the sense that. Um, uh, one, well, the guy who was my reader for um, my PhD, he um, took me under his wing and, and really helped me with the teaching. So mm. I was coordinating, co- coordinating, uh, coordinating, lecturing and um, tutoring intercultural communication um, for the undergraduate program there, which was a great, wow. um, great experience. Um, 
and then because of that, uh, I um, I submitted my PhD in late 2017, uh-huh. um, and and got a job at Hiroshima University as a um, writing advisor fellow. Uh, it's a position there that they have um, for people to come and help um, both graduate students and faculty publish their work in English. Well, what a great transition. Again, the, the name of the mm-hmm. paper that we are discussing today is Facilitating Graduate Student and Faculty Member Writing Groups, Experiences from a University in Japan. All right, so set the scene. Was this always meant to kind of be a paper or you started to set up these writing groups because you thought it was going to be beneficial to the community and it turned into a research paper? Uh, it, it definitely the, the second um, point that you made there. But um, these groups were uh, established um, before I got there um, okay. by, by a previous writing fellow. So this position that I was in was only a uh, six-month to one-year position um, in which Hiroshima University brings uh, new people every year to kind of uh, keep it fresh and to bring new ideas. It's part of their um, internationalization strategy, one of their many internationalization strategies. Okay. Um, well, so, so, wait, wait, hold on real quick. I need, I need to jump in on that. So that's all right. the contract, six months to a year. Yeah. And so what were you thinking? Uh, well, <laughs> you, that's tough because then you immediately have to line up your next job. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it kind of all fell into place. And again, I, I, I'm very, I consider myself very lucky. Um, well, you know what they say, the, the harder you work, the more lucky you get. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Um, but I was just really in the right place at the right time, I think. But, um, yeah, look, it was, it was a one, it was a six months to one year, uh, job and, and I was prepared to stay for a year. Um, to be quite honest, uh, they were very happy with the work I was doing there and they wanted me to stay longer. Um, but unfortunately, I was offered a position at Kansai University. And Can we just talk about that real quick? I, I mean, yeah. I don't know anything about this program or sure. the, the impetus behind it and the idea sure. of the fresh ideas. That all sounds great. Yep. But how can they expect to get a quality person with a contract like that? It, it's difficult. Yeah, definitely. It is difficult. Um what's the what's the what's the incentive i i don't i don't understand like i i don't think i would ever apply for a contract like that i think well i well this is this is the tricky thing too in japan it's quite difficult i i think it's quite difficult to get a job uh while you're not in the country okay so if you're in the country maybe you can make make contacts and and that kind of thing but definitely from outside of japan i'd been applying for jobs for some time i see um, and had not been successful um but what appealed to me about the job at hiroshima university was that um it was going to give me skills that i felt i lacked which Mm -hmm. were things where i could concentrate on writing Mm-hmm. Uh, I could. It gave me a bit more time to focus on research because I wasn't necessarily teaching a full load of, of, of courses, mm. um, and and it gave me the opportunity to meet people. Um, one of the greatest things about that job was was actually travelling with the university president to the University of New South Wales and oh, cool. um, re- renewing the um, MOU for their study abroad program. Wow. Um, that was a great experience to travel with him and 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 um, see that side of things. Uh, it was a great experience. I see. Okay. All right. Then how how did it work out to transition to the next job? Uh, to to Kansai University. Yeah. Uh, well, I I was. Um, I, I saw a job advertised um, on, I think, JREC, mm-hmm. and um, I had a colleague at the University of Queensland contact me and said, Todd, there's a job at this university I think you should apply. Um, I, it sounds very well-rounded for you. I think you'd be a great fit. Apply and see how you go. And um, I did. Um, that was that was in the middle of – when was that? The middle of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still actually hadn't been to my graduation ceremony yet for my PhD. So <laughs> I flew back to Australia for that in July and I started the job at Kansai University in oh, September, October, 2018. Wow. What so a story. <laughs> just that in itself is a story, I think. But, um, I mean, do you yeah. ever, do you ever think, uh, what if uh, your, your, your trajectory could have gone many different ways? Absolutely. And, and I think again, it's, it's about that being in the right place and, and taking on opportunities, 
um, that <laughs> you might not necessarily feel you're qualified for or, um, you know, but just seeing where they take you and just throwing yourself in there and, and, and doing the best that you can. It's definitely worked for me. <laughs> Is that kind of advice you would give to early career researchers or early career academics? Because you definitely. mentioned before we started mm -hmm. recording the show that, that those are there's challenges that we all kind of face. It seems like um, you were able to meet these challenges just by having an open mind. Is that is that what you're saying? I think so. I think we, we often pigeonhole ourselves and mm. I think we, we often don't have confidence in our abilities to to do things outside of our what we consider our realm of expertise. Um, I think it's really important that we, we keep our, our options open because we you just never know where they will where they will actually lead. Mm. Um I never, I never thought I would be back in the Kansai area. Um, when I was uh, at Hiroshima University, I thought, okay, after one year, I'll just, if, if nothing comes of this, then I'll just go back. I'll just go back home and, and find something at home. Mm. Um, uh, here we are a few years later. <laughs> I'm married. <laughs> I have a house and I'm living in, in, in the Kansai area. So it's, it's definitely just one thing after another. So have you taken like the JLPT one? I haven't taken one. Mm. I, to be honest, I, I took level three many, many, many mm. years ago. Yeah. And uh, I was working on level two while studying at Meiji. Mm -hmm. um, but I never took it because I had to fly back to Australia to start my honors degree. Is that um, something you think you might do? Yeah, so I'm, I'm working on that at the moment. <laughs> at the moment, I'm working towards those um, little sort of not little i should say those difficult hurdles um and just get those qualifications because it's just nice to have i think <laughs> are, wait are you tenured i am i am tenured okay yes. well then the motivation for that goes down doesn't it it does but <laughs> but I, i'm very I'm, I'm very i guess proud in the sense that i i want to have these things because I, or i want to improve my skills at least mm -hmm. because um you know it's so easy just to get stuck in a a situation where you just use your English when, you know, you should be using your Japanese and mm. I don't want to fall into that trap. <laughs> yeah. So for people that are listening outside the country, so I'm, I'm taking the, the N3 in July. Yeah. Um, and N3 is kind of a nice level because you run into that language all the time. Yes. I mean, you try to explain how difficult Japanese is. And I think, I think there's a vast ocean between N3 and N2. And then another well, ocean between N2 and N1. That's what I've kind of heard. Absolutely. And I think I think the old system was much worse. I think now with the new system, with the N3, before it was just uh, JLPT1, 2, 3, 4. Now there's the N4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Yeah. The, there was a massive jump between 3 and 2. I think mm -hmm. the jump has lessened, but it's okay. still a big jump. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So, All right. Well, yeah. um, let's let's jump into the paper um, again. Facilitating graduate student and faculty member writing groups experiences from a university in Japan. I guess before we we get into the meat of the paper, did you have experiences in writing groups personally before? I this? did actually. I did. Yeah. While I was doing my PhD, there was a writing group um, at the University of Queensland, uh, part of our school, mm -hmm. and it was just completely grassroots led. Just faculty members just coming together. And, and just dedicating time to discuss writing or um, get actual writing done. Um, so I, I'd experienced that and saw the real benefit of that, getting feedback really early on mm -hmm. uh, and just the structure of writing and just having advice from older, I shouldn't say older, more experienced um, academics was really just uh, a huge um, advantage, I feel. How big was the group? It was about uh, 10 of us, I think, mm -hmm. at that time. There's about 10 of us coming in. It was called the Friday 500 Club. And basically, every Friday, you brought 500 words. Oh, so wow. Okay. Basically, basically, it forced you um, to come with your writing. And if you didn't have writing, then you were kind of, um, kind of, I don't know, negative sort of, uh, sort of, you felt bad because you didn't uh, bring your writing for that week. You weren't productive enough. I'm I'm pro writing group if there is a leader, yes, and yes. who if there is a person who's clearly, uh, I'm actually kind of I wouldn't say anti, but I'm I know people that are in writing groups without a mentor. For example, they had a professor that was part of their writing group, and that professor left the school or something, yep. and they continue on. Yep. I think it's good to have that person in the room 
who maybe is silent a lot, but then at some point jumps in and says, "No, this is this this is right." Because you can be led astray sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. and, and if and if the person's not from your particular area or field, mm-hmm. then yeah. then definitely you're going to be led down the wrong path. Um, I think what was good about the, the the writing groups at Hiroshima University was my job was the facilitator, mm-hmm. so it would be my job to meet with them once uh, once a week and um, go through you know have exercises for them to do like you know peer review or here is some reading this week that's on publishing in a particular journal here are some strategies that maybe gets your paper published quicker, um, all of those things. And then we'd focus on productivity, working on the writing itself, um, whether that is by yourself or giving it to someone else to proofread and give you corrections or feedback, um, those kinds of things. And luckily, the people that were in that group were very close to my area of study, uh, pragmatics, applied linguistics. So there wasn't too much um sort of leading astray or, or sort of not knowing the area. I did have a couple of people from like law um, or environmental studies, which was a completely different realm. Um, and of course, they write very differently. Um, so you have to adapt to that. It is cool, though, you did mention in the paper that I guess it's been found that there's a it can't be a positive influence on a writing group to have people with varied academic backgrounds. Definitely. Um, and so that is sort of the the uh, the reverse thing. You can a lot of times we get stuck in our own bubble. I remember in in my writing group there was someone. What was she studying? But her paper was about this really old. Was she studying um. Uh, what's archaeology? It was something like it was something like so, so far outside. Like it, it, it was some tomb that was buried in Egypt and. And she was talking about the different rooms that were there and the different inscriptions that were found. And yep. and that was cool just because it kind of got, got me out of my head. But as far as technical advice for her, yeah, yep. but like it was com- completely different styles. <laughs> like what was okay in archaeology writing is not okay in psychology, for example. Absolutely. But the, I, I guess what, what um, for, for the Hiroshima writing groups, the best part about it is, is that most of the time, it's not necessarily the technical writing, it's just the narrative of the paper itself. So mm-hmm. uh, most people can understand the narrative of a paper, you know, it tells a story, there's a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time, the feedback that people were giving were, were based on that narrative. Was it clear enough? Could I follow your narrative? Could I follow your logic? Could I follow your argumentation? Um, and though th- that was the kind of feedback that they were giving. So it was kind of good in that sense. But like you said, definitely when it's more technical, that's when it gets really tricky. Now for the – you had two groups. You had a faculty group and you had a graduate student group. Yes. And from the paper, from what I read, is the graduate student group was much more structured, right? Yes. Yeah, then, that's true. So you had sort of each week was kind of planned-based – under certain categories, social theory or practice. Can you talk a little bit about the faculty group? So you said it it was unstructured. So yes. what, what does that mean exactly? So basically we didn't actually – I didn't plan um, for them to do anything in particular. So mm-hmm. it was basically just a space for them to come mm-hmm. and learn about all facets of writing, whether that is dealing with an editor from a journal or trying to get your book published mm-hmm. to um, to the, the nuts and bolts of writing a paper for a particular journal. So I left it completely open for them to come to the group. The only um, requirement that they had to uh, complete was that they had to bring some form of writing each week. So whether that is something they're working on or whether it's something that they're aiming to do, that was what they had to bring. And then from that, we built on top of that. So questions would arise from week to week, and then that would kind of influence what comes next week. So someone might say, how do I structure a a letter to an editor for a journal? So then next week I might bring, um, you know, a template for them to use, um, those kinds of um, organic kind of questions. Did you have an attrition rate? People started falling off out of boredom or lack of interest. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I actually like writing groups a lot. Yeah. Um, but I just I, I think it's a very personal thing. Some some people don't like criticism. Maybe some people think, oh, I could spend my time just writing my own. Yeah. Um, it's- <laughs> personally, personally, that's that was kind of a joke. But personally, in the writing group that I was in, yep, um, there wasn't much attrition. But if there was. 
uh, those slots would be filled very quickly. Yeah. One of it those seems, kind of things. It's may, Yeah, I think from people, people tend not to know what they're getting themselves into because it's a commitment. And yeah, especially if it's some, once a week. Yeah, and, and and the commitment can be quite tough, you know, because like you said, you know, things pop up, deadlines happen. I, I know in my job with the amount of uh, deadlines or meetings that pop up, you know, you've got to abandon some things yeah. for other things. Um, so there, there definitely was people that dropped in and out. Um, but I would say in my particular group, I, I'm just trying to remember how many there were. On average, each week there was at least the regular six people. Um, and then you would have one or two that would come every second week or every third week. Mm, I see. Any any conflicts mm. arise? Uh, yeah. They, they, oh, they, yeah. Here we there go. Were times, there were at I times. I don't need a comma there. <laughs> there were at times. I mean... Um, How dare you? My colon is fine. <laughs> but again, this is where Japanese politeness comes right, in. Right, so, right. so they they often they'll just, they'll uh, just leave out an izuchi just to make yeah, their yeah, point exactly, and and then <laughs> and that's yeah that that can be sometimes worse. I think. Um, yeah, no, look, there, there definitely were some were some conflict, but uh, again, uh, these colleagues had known each other for some time, um, so there wasn't too much um, sort of angst or, or or animosity between any of them. There was a there was an interesting line in one of the uh, some of the survey feedback where yep. somebody yep. said, "Oh well, depending on if my paper gets published, that would be a good judge if this writing group was effective or not." That's not <laughs> yeah. really that fair. I mean, that's really cut and dry. That's, it is saying if I if my paper gets published, then this writing group was beneficial. Writing is like anything else; is like a process. Yeah, in incremental yeah. improvements. You know, learning how to get. I think the biggest thing about a writing group is something you touched on is like. Just, just developing a, a routine, like yeah, a writing it, practice consistently. Abs absolutely, and and that that not only that, it's the other soft skills as well, like collegiality and mm. and um, those kinds of skills that we don't necessarily learn explicitly, but you learn just from mentors or being around other academics. Um, to get back to that point about the the the, the person who said. Um, it's only successful if I get published. That just, I think, really speaks to the, I guess, the commercialization of research in a lot mm. of ways. Um, because we, we are so focused on publishing um, that we forget that to actually publish is a process. And, you know, we have to build those skills to get there. Um, and I think that, that was a graduate student, I think, that made that comment. And I think a lot of the graduate students that... that um, are around today are really focused on publishing their research so that they can get a position when they finish their PhD or get a research grant or um, that kind of thing. Yeah, I like the way you started the paper. You you kind of set the scene that you know the publication rates in Japan are decreasing, and therefore the global rankings are decreasing. Yeah, and therefore writing groups might help to fill that gap. So there there is. Yeah, it's tough. I would say success builds on success and getting some yes. success can give you motivation. So that comment, it was like, I kind of wanted to talk to that person <laughs> because it's like, I think you got to get published. You definitely need to get published first. Yes. And a lot of times getting published first comes through the idea, like having a good research idea and following through. Yes. And then the editor, like you mentioned before, you kind of – the editor can guide you. I think a lot of people don't understand like who have never been published before. Yeah. As long as your research is clear and you know it makes sense and follows through, your writing deficiencies can be, can be helped by the editor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, for example, the paper that I published, um, this in higher education research and development, the editor for that, for that journal was absolutely fantastic. She really helped – um, you know, I, I got really good reviews, actually. It wasn't too much of a stretch to do the, re the, the revision process with the reviewers. But just the way that she managed the reviews and managed my response to the reviewers and, and things was just really professionally mm. done. And I think editors really have a really tough job in many ways. Yeah. But I think if if you if you write the paper in a way that the uh, the ideas are clear, the research is clear, the results are clear, the editor will definitely help you. Mm. So do you, did you learn anything from this experience? If you were to set up a writing group again, would you do it the same way? 
Uh, well, actually, I've incorporated this into my master's writing class at Kansai University. Nice. So as part of their um, – they do an academic writing course. I, I teach that in the second semester um, each year. And, and in that class, we actually tie things together with theory, and then I have them every second week actually just do a writing group. Um, so they're actually productive towards their, their writing goals. So you're saying in the writing group, they're, they're spending time writing together? They'll either write together or the, I, I actually give them time. So I'll give them about 45 minutes just to be quiet and write, or as they say in the literature, shut up and write. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I give them 45 minutes to share their writing with a partner um, mm -hmm. and get some feedback and nice. uh, that kind of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, I'd love to teach a class like that. <laughs> I just think it's, I, I just think it's more practical in a sense because yeah, for sure um, because with right like I like I we we said at the start you know content knowledge and and language learning are two separate things and I often joke with students and say academic writing is actually another language because mm -hmm. native speakers of English can't really absolutely uh, they're not born with this skill we have to learn too yep. and so I take the approach that it's a skill that has to be practiced I can tell you what's in an abstract and I can tell you the moves but you actually have to do it so the only way to do it is do it so that's why we have these writing groups in the in the master's writing course yeah I I mean the other thing I think the biggest takeaway and I to bring it up again is establishing a writing practice so the yeah. the the mentor in our writing group, I think she did something where every morning from 8 to 9 p.m., she was on Zoom writing. And <laughs> yeah, so she yeah. said, if you want to join me. So basically just sitting around, I guess, the going back to your, what's it called? Conge collegiality. <laughs> collegiality. Yeah. yeah. The idea of, okay, yeah, it's a very, can be a very isolated process to do writing and research. Yep. Personally, I didn't need that. Yes. If I yeah. wasn't an organized um, – but if I was doing a master's degree and I was in that class, I think I would like that feeling. Okay, yeah. I have 45 minutes. Everyone's writing. That would be a cool feeling. Yeah. Um, I also ran across this this YouTube channel. This guy was just – it was something like, do you want to just study with me? And he's got this live <laughs> YouTube channel. And he's just sitting in his room just studying. And there's people that are doing it. So I guess there's something to it. Like, uh, you know. I, I think, yeah, for, like for me, I can, I love to sit in a busy cafe and just, uh, and just sit with my laptop and write. For me, that's the most productive environment is a noisy. Why is that? Why is I that? Don't, I, I don't know. It just you're, makes the, me... you're one of those kind of people that I could do <laughs> other stuff. I could definitely do other stuff in a busy yep. cafe. Yeah. I don't know if I could do – I think I could study Japanese easier than doing writing. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just makes me hyper-focus and That's I can – strange. Just, Not hyper-distracted? No, it doesn't. It just – I just sit down and I can I can just get it all done. That if is I'm, interesting. If I'm sitting in a quiet room, I find, I, I find myself wandering – and, and finding other things to do. So um, definitely. Is it, because, yeah. is it because it's task oriented? I'm going to the cafe. I'm going to write. That's possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly that it's, this is the time you had get it done. Um, if you just, if I have a whole day just to sit in my office and, and work, which is a very rare thing, but if I can do that, I probably wouldn't be very productive. <laughs> very interesting. Okay. Well, um, again, uh, the paper, uh, hold on. I was, I need to scroll back up. I was reading something. Oh, yeah. Again, the name of the paper is Facilitating Graduate Student and Faculty Member Writing Groups Experiences from a University in Japan at the very end of the paper. So now I need to scroll back down. It <laughs> says that you presented this at – bear with me one second. You presented this at the Symposium of Writing Centers in Asia in 2018. So this was a this was a comp a presentation. It was. It started off just as a basically we got feedback from the groups and I and I saw some of the feedback there and I thought this is really interesting from a, a researcher's perspective. So maybe we should turn this into a paper mm -hmm. and really um, because these were quite new to 
Japan, the idea of a writing group was quite um, novel here in Japan until it was, I guess, uh, started by Hiroshima University. They really took it on and tried to establish these groups. So I presented the work that we were doing at this conference. And it was really good. Again, these people that work in this area are just fantastic in terms of their support and um, I guess, uh, dedication to teaching academic writing or supporting writers write um, through establishing academic writing centers. Um, they're just really, really good at doing that. So it was yeah, a good place to be. So I guess the moral of the story is stay open-minded and establish yes. a writing practice. Yes. I don't like, I don't like the advice. I was in the right place at the right time. I actually, actually, actually <laughs> kind of bothers me. Because I think that's giving people false hope. Possibly. Well, like, I, I, well, we're different I'm, people, though. Like, I don't want to go in the cafe. I, I believe more in the harder you work, the luckier you get. And the harder you work, the more opportunities are presented to you. Definitely. If you tell yeah. your – do you have kids? I do, yes. <laughs> so you, are you going to tell your kids, oh, you just need to be in the right place at the right time? No, look, I think I think if you work hard, opportunities come. And, and that is definitely the way that I saw life, whether it was through my athletic career or whether it was through um, academic work. I, I think that the harder you work, um, the more opportunities will come knocking. But um, you also have to be careful, too, that it doesn't become your whole life, I think. You have to have that work-life balance. And that is difficult to achieve in academia, but you have to try. So definitely work hard, but keep an open mind and, and see where it takes you. Are you still active in uh, gymnastics or physical fitness and stuff like that? No, I do. I do go to the gym pretty much once a day if I can. Wow. Um, getting wow. up early in the mornings to do that. But um, yeah, I, I left that life behind and, and it's definitely um, academia at the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, did you, did you listen to the episode with David Matsumoto? I think it was citation number five. Yeah. I listened to a little bit of that because I use some of his work in my teaching of intercultural communication. So I was very interested to hear that episode. He attributes a lot of his success to judo. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Because he's been sort of grinding away at judo and has having the discipline. Um, there's something, again, something to be said about, you know, you, you establish the discipline being an athlete and that routine. Yes. Yeah. And that, that can easily transition to being an academic. Or I anything, think so. Really. I, I think so because a lot of times we, like for example, research. We can just say, particularly in my position, I have a tenured position, so uh, the push for me to publish isn't necessarily there. But for me, that's a goal that I have is to keep publishing and to keep working on research. So um, it's definitely a challenge in terms of motivation. But if you want to do something, um, my thing is there's nothing stopping you. You can do it. You just have to work hard at it. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe that was just you being uh, your humble, ja the humble Japanese part of you saying, oh, I was just in the right place at the right time. I don't let people get away with that anymore. I used to. I don't. I Yeah. Because I think I used to believe something. I used to believe that in some ways. Maybe I should maybe I should sort of rephrase that and say, I, I guess I just feel fortunate that I that I was in these places and had the opportunity to do these things. Maybe that's or that's you could just say I worked harder than most. people. That's why. <laughs> I got a, I got a, a I got the highest see people that are outside of Australia don't really understand uh, the distinction slash you said you got the highest grade or the highest level of I, I don't even know what the system's called but it's there's distinction and above distinction is is what what's that uh, called we have we have high First honors or something uh, so so when you are uh, awarded your degree it will say mm -hmm. something like honors one which mm -hmm. is the the, the top level and then you'll have 2a 2b uh and and so on and so forth so uh, my goal at, actually at the start speaking of goals and working hard when i when i met my supervisor i said to her i want to do a phd so i want to get honors one and i need you to push me to get there are you willing to push me and she said yes i'll push you and i said okay so that was at the start and then at the end that's what i ended up with so yeah, definitely. If you do work hard, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, not many people get honors one. I think is the point. Uh, uh, it's yeah. it's a different system than America, like the A, B, C, D, E system. Yes, it's, yep. it's completely different. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, 
which I found out in my own studies at Macquarie University. Australian universities can be tough. So, um, yeah, it's it's good in that sense that they are because they're such high-level universities. But, yeah, it can be hard. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we touched on anything. Did, did we did we miss anything? No, that that that's pretty much it. I, you know, um, with COVID nineteen around, I I hope that everyone's doing well. All your listeners are doing well, and and yeah, just just keep keep safe. <laughs> well, again, the the name of the paper is facilitating graduate student and faculty member writing groups experiences from university in Japan. This is open access; people can find it easily. Uh, it's not, but there is a copy available um, on my academia.edu site. So if you type in that that. Um, that title you'll definitely find it uh, okay i'll just i'll include a link in the show notes perfect and um i'm going to be getting vaccinated soon so i'm planning on going to jout national yes are are you planning on going there as well i am actually um again chris ramonda and i are presenting some research on study abroad so um we're we're looking forward to to getting down there at the end of the year and chris haswell and i are going to be up there doing a presentation on the podcast actually so maybe we we can have like a an exclusive dinner yeah, that uh, would be of like uh i actually i actually gonna i'm gonna keep this on the show because I, I hope chris listens to this i actually <laughs> floated this idea out to chris yep. that every year at the conferences we have an exclusive dinner of uh people that were guests on the show almost that, like that, yep. like give people like a green jacket you know like on yeah. the, the masters right <laughs> yes and yep, he yep. scoffed at that scoffed at the idea it's like <laughs> what do you mean what do you mean a dinner why does that matter yeah. And I said, no, it can be cool. It's like, you know, you're on the show and it's, it's this tight community and, you know, we have it's like a little club. Absolutely. And I, I, think, I think it's a good idea. So do I. And I, I think because of the whole COVID-19 situation, I think it's just another reason to get together now that we can. So or yeah. hopefully in the future when we can. So that, that'll be a great thing, I think. <laughs> okay. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, thank you very uh, much. For having- uh, looking forward to, to meet up in November. Definitely. Thank you so very much. Lost in Citations is an audio journal that invites you to contribute your own interviews. If there's someone whose work you cite regularly and you'd like to hear more from them, then please feel free to arrange your own interview and submit it for consideration. For more information, go to lostincitations.com, where you'll find our guide for contributors. What we ask is you submit a five-minute audio sample before the interview so that we can help you with any audio quality issues. Then you can go ahead and record 45 minutes to an hour and submit it at lostincitations at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, we have Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages. Finally, a very helpful thing you can do is, if you like the work we're doing, recommend it to a friend. Thank you very much.